Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a good friend of mine who's been a professional sports better for well over a decade, and I admire him greatly. Please welcome Rufus Peabody. Rufus, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's, it, thanks for having me, Spanky. And, and I was trying to figure out last time I listened to your podcast whether your intro was a canned intro, like you recorded it once and used it every time, but I guess not. Nah, that's just, I don't know why it sounds the same every time. Yeah, and you, you talk very slowly, and it's just, it sounds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, sometimes I want to make sure I come in clear, but I appreciate that. I think that was a compliment, but... Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> all right, I appreciate it. So, Rufus, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you know, I want to get a little bit of an introduction, a little profile, and then I'm going to start asking you questions. You know, you're a, you're a pro sports better. Um, not many pro sports betters come on, and you're my friend, so I'm going to be asking you some deep questions, and hopefully we could, uh, you know, I could have the listeners learn something. But let's start off with the beginning. How was life growing up? How was life growing up? Life was good growing up. I grew up, I was born in Mississippi. I don't have a Southern accent, um, but I, my family moved to the Washington DC area when I was like four or five. And I lit, I grew up Northern Virginia, um, Alexandria, right outside of DC. And I, I had a pretty typical middle-class upbringing. Uh, you know, I played, played all the sports. I was always into the number side of sports and, and, I think that's kind of where, you know, which I didn't know anything about sports betting. I wasn't, a, I wasn't naturally, like, I wasn't a better from a young age or anything. Like I, I feel like most of the bookmakers you interview or people on the bookmaking side, you know, they, they talk about their parents, their uncles, their uncle Larry or uncle Jack or whatever, you know, uh, being bookmakers or going to the track or things like that. And I, I definitely didn't have that. My parents were, were not big sports fans. And I think I kind of made my dad become a sports fan because I was such a sports fan. But so, so I kind of, I, it was, I was not, I was swimming against the current in a way, I guess, to get where, where I am. Um, it wasn't like this ran in my blood or anything like that. I just have always, I, I, yeah, I've always loved the number side of sports and analyzing it. And, um, and that's kind of, I think where, I guess that that um, allowed me to kind of, well, I don't know. It's I got you. So, yeah. were you, how, how about as a student? Where you know, did you study hard or hardly study? Uh, I was somewhere in the middle. I, I think, you know, earlier on, you know, I was always, I was good at I was always good at math. I was good at the times tables. I'm sure you were too, right, Spanky? I'm sure you were really good at a young age. At, the math part yeah i held my own <laughs> right exactly yeah. and and so i mean for me uh, but once math got like really complicated in college then i was not as good at it like once it's more letters than numbers but i was always like i, I was always pretty good at, at math and uh, but overall i was I, I i procrastinated terribly like i'm sure most people did but uh, i was never i wasn't sort of the the teacher's pet in class or anything like that. I wasn't the person getting the, the top grades, but I was, I, I basically gamed, gamed the system as best I could. I figured out in high school, that's when grades started to really count. I knew that I needed to go to a good college because that's what my parents instilled in me, I guess. And 
And so I, I knew I just had to get an A for the year at the end. And so I worked as hard as I needed to to do that, which meant oftentimes doing my homework for German class in first period calculus. So I, I definitely wasn't, you know, when I, when I got to college, I had to learn how to study. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. So you kind of was able to, you were able to get by in high school uh, doing just enough to be able to get the right grade to be able to get into to college, a uh, good college. Right. And I think, I think I actually looked really good on paper, but not because I was necessarily trying to, but just because I, like I was, all these college counselors and admissions officers talked about like the, the big buzzword at the time was like having students that were well-rounded. And I don't know if that's the same now, you know, I could ask my brother, he actually yeah. used to be an admissions officer at Bowdoin college, but, okay. uh, but I, I just did a lot of stuff just not because I was trying to do it to get into college, but just cause I was interested in a lot of things. And so I, I played, I played varsity sports every season in high school. I was a statistician for the basketball team my senior year because the basketball coach um, was also the women's tennis coach. We actually had a really good basketball team, by the way, like we were one of the top teams in the state, but, but he also coached the, the, the women's tennis team and, and was, and gave me private lessons for tennis because I, I played tennis in the spring. But so he, uh, he actually asked me to be the statistician for the basketball team my senior year. And, and so I did that. I wrote articles for a local newspaper, the, um, the Alexandria Gazette and sort of the whole Northern Virginia connection newspapers. Um, and so I, I would cover high school basketball games. That was my senior year. I think the, the sports editor, you know, I literally cold called this guy and was like, Hey, do you need people to cover games? Like I was trying to get writing experience. And, and cause I, at the time I wanted to be a sports journalist, but uh, on the weekends when, when I didn't have cross country meets or track meets or anything like that in the fall and the spring, I would referee youth soccer games and umpire little league baseball games. I was, I was in the, um, I was in the band. I was, I wouldn't call myself a band geek just because I, I was able to get out of marching band because, because of sports. So, um, but I like, I took lessons. I practiced um, probably not as much as I should have, but, but I, I was, you know, I was, you know, I played the clarinet, the most manly instrument. <laughs> um, right. Do you still but, pick it up now? Or? No, I haven't. I haven't played it since high school. I, I wasn't actually bad in high school. Like I actually, put a lot I put a good amount of time into it but a lot of people I, say if you play an instrument growing up it helps you use both sides of your brain is that true I don't know because I didn't grow up I only I don't have a test case here I only have I, I can only see one side of the story right I, I don't know how I would have turned out had I not played an instrument gotcha every most people that I know that have you know or friends of mine that grew up playing an instrument they seem to you know be on the on the intelligent side or they just seem to be able to reason things out better but thank you what instrument did you play growing up uh, i did not i wish i did you know my mother tried to make me go to piano lessons and uh i just said nah, i just want to go out and play baseball and just go run around so but you never so, so in i guess i went to public school in fourth grade they they basically, you, you could join the band or the orchestra as an elective, I think, or maybe you had to, I don't remember, but, but they, you know, put the clarinet in my mouth and I blew and it made a sound and they were like, you're playing the clarinet. That's, you, you never had an experience like that? 
No, see, I, I think I was, you know, you're, you're the generation right after me, and I think music education took a big jump, I think, starting with your generation where you guys got to hold instruments. I just, you know, I was learning what a, a treble clef was, a quarter note, a half, you know, a whole note, and, and that's it. And I was learning the same exact thing all through, you know, from first grade through eighth grade. So it was all the same crap. They just kept rehashing it. Um, and I wish I was able to play instruments. We just didn't have, you know, a, a good music education program uh, in my school. And, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, I think that's great that, you know, that, that they push that. And I think it's good just in general for somebody to try to pick up an instrument. Um, yeah. You know, so that's great stuff. Now, you mentioned, Rufus, that you were a sports writer. Most most math guys I know, they kind of want to stay away from writing. They want to stay away from, you know, re they just want to solve math problems. That's, you know, it's it's. I think it's great that you're able to, you know, both do some math and to be able to be a good writer. Would you consider yourself a good writer or you enjoyed it or it was just because it's sports? No, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a great writer or anything like that. And, and right now, I think I'd, I'm an awful writer because I haven't, I mean, I haven't written in a long, long time, but I always, I, I love the analytical side of sports and, and I didn't, I honestly didn't know sports betting was like a career path. I, I had no idea that this kind of world even existed. And so I thought that the best way to sort of become involved in the sports world in, in the way I wanted was to either sort of work for a sports team or to cover sports, be a sports writer. And so I, I took a more analytical perspective in the way I, the way I wrote about sports. So I would, even if I was covering a basketball game, I would, you know, some team won like 73 to 58 and it, but I, I was not talking about just the score, but, but why that team, like what, what enabled the team to get an advantage? Was it, they were able to, you know, pick out a mismatch between um, they had a big center and nobody could stop him or like they were able to penetrate and kick out and generate open three pointers. Like what was sort of, what was the impetus for them getting the advantage? And that's kind of, that's the way I approached it. And that's honestly, I mean, so, so it kind of makes sense that, I mean, I took, I, I definitely approached it from much more of a numbers driven perspective. All right. You were able to look beyond the numbers and just see and try to make sense of it all. So let's talk about college now. You know, you, uh, you went to Yale and, uh, you know, that's one of the best schools, Ivy League school. Uh, Application-wise, you know what I mean? Is, was this your number one choice? Did you apply to a bunch of schools? How did it feel getting that acceptance letter? So I, I applied to Yale um, early action. I had visited it and really loved it. But I also was – and so I found out in late December that I got accepted. And it, oh, it was great. It was – you get an email with, like – a bulldog singing the fight song. And it was like, my parents were there and I was like, you know, all, I was going to say all this work really paid off, but I mean, all the work put, I, I actually worked quite hard. I, I worked quite hard studying for my SATs and on college application, like the application uh, essays. So that work paid off, but I still, I was actually, or believe it or not, I was a, a recruit for a few, at a few schools, um, Division three schools, because at the time I thought I wanted to go to a small D3 school, have sort of the, you know, this sort of liberal arts education. And so I, I was, I was a track cross country recruit at three different schools, um, Amherst, Williams, and Bowdoin. And then I applied to William and Mary, which is in-state, a uh, really good in-state school in Virginia. Um, and so... I 
I still, you know, I think the deadline for admissions back then was, I don't know what it is now, like at the end of December. So I actually still, um, I kept those, I, I was about to send the applications. I still sent them. And I believe it or not, I actually was down to the last day, you know, when I found out I got in, um, you know, I was, I think you had to decide by April 30th and I was down to the last day deciding between Bowdoin and Yale. And I know that sounds, you know, most people probably outside the Northeast haven't heard of Bowdoin, but it's, it's, it's a really good school. I really liked the track coach. Um, he, he was, he was putting, you know, I, I felt wanted because he would like call me and send me postcards and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> and you really, were young, impressionable. Oh, of course, yeah, of course, of course. And and he was like, you should go to Bowdoin and then go to graduate school at Yale or something. It's like do that. And but you know, I, I it, it was tough. I mean, because I did like a recruiting visit there and and really liked it. I felt comfortable there, but you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to say no to Yale. And, and I figured if I said no to, you know, I, I would, you know, I might always regret it. And so. <laughs> and were your parents guiding you here or was it completely your choice? How was the atmosphere like at home? No, my, my parents are fantastic. They've been completely supportive of everything I've done. And even when I moved to Las Vegas after college, you know, they supported that. Most people would be like, we just, you know, they, they, they paid for me to go to college and that, that wasn't, you know, that that wasn't that that was something for them. You know what I mean? They're, oh, there's something you know to pay to, to not, uh, yield tuition ain't cheap. Oh, you know what I mean? So no, it isn't. Uh, it's, and, it's, and and you all are, those schools were about the same, but I mean, but you know, if if, it was, if I was the parent, I would have been like, hey, you know, there's this great state school here. Why don't you why don't you look at that? Have you always been frugal? Yes. Uh, I'm less frugal now, believe it or not. <laughs> right. I've always, I've always been a saver, Spanky. It's, 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 it's in my nature. I mean, in, in first grade, second grade, I, I, uh, I had this little business where I would take orders. I'd go to, I would take orders from people in the neighborhood, um, and to buy them apples at the farmer's market. Don't ask me where I got the idea. I have no idea. Maybe, I mean, I, I, I really have no idea. But, but I would basically like mark them up a little bit and go to the farmer's market and deliver them apples. And whenever it snowed, I would, you know, everybody else goes sledding and I would do that sometimes, but I would, I, I wouldn't go sledding until everybody's walk was shoveled because I, you know, I'd go door to door and, and, you know, make on a good day, make $200 in sixth grade shoveling snow. So this is fascinating because the, the, the earn mentality, the desire to earn was instilled it just it started at such a young age and you always had the drive to earn because in, in any business no matter what you do to be successful you have to have that drive in you to want to be successful and to want to be able to make it and for you to say that you know usually people say show me the boy i'll show you the man in your sense it's kind of like look this guy all his friends are playing and doing all this but he's earning he's shoveling snow and and that says something uh it's 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 i think it's great hearing how you know you have that you had that drive at a young age and it carried through um to uh, in your career so let's talk rufus you you know you, know, you graduate from yale now or, you know first job i know you know go ahead take me through this um what happens after college? So after college, I took a job with Las Vegas Sports Consultants where I had done an internship the summer before. So I talked my way. Uh, I had 
I've, I've said this story many times, um, but I had, I read an article in ESPN.com back in 2007, which was my junior year of college by Gene Wojciechowski. He had gone out to Las Vegas. He had been in the Las Vegas sports consultants offices for selection Sunday. And he wrote about basically what he witnessed. And, and to me, it was like this, company seems incredible. It's like academia for sports. And, and for those that don't know, um, Las Vegas Sports Consultants was uh, a, well, consulting company. They they set odds or they provided opening odds to Nevada sports books. And at the time, it was over 90% of the Nevada sports books used LVSC. And I think they had to. I mean, companies had to use either LVSC or, or some other outfit because they're, you know, in the, in the state bylaws, um, you had to have some sort of outside odds consultant type thing, but it made economic sense for books too, rather than all of them having their own team of odds makers just to outsource it. Because as I'm sure, I mean, as you know, Spanky, getting the opening, being perfect with the opening number is not the most important thing. It's just getting a, a number that's decent out, right? Yeah. You, you know, in general, as a bookmaker, having the right opener isn't, uh, isn't as important as getting close to the closing number as fast as possible exactly uh, and that's just based on clientele but yeah i get it so you so this is great so you're working at lvsc what's your salary uh so, so i make it twenty five thousand a year so if i send my kid and i pay all this money for real <laughs> education i'm expecting right off the bat you know if not six figures we're at least in the 90s you know what i mean what's the average salary of a graduating uh yale uh, uh student I have no idea. But it's probably no going to be, you know, a very high five figures, six figures easy. Do, do you uh, know what Yale would say? The Yale would say there is no average Yale student. Well, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. But I'm saying, so you're making, you know, you probably made more shoveling snow if you just look at the hourly rate, right? How, uh, how you know, the parents are okay with it. You said everyone's accepted. What makes you decide saying, listen, I'm going to move out to Vegas only you know make peanuts because you love it so much or you want it to be engulfed in his business yeah so my so i'd done the internship i talked my way into an internship there the summer before and had i guess done well enough to get a full-time offer and and i but i at the time i still didn't know that's what i wanted to do i mean i knew i it's it, let me correct that i you know i knew i would love doing that but i didn't know if it was the right thing for me to do because it's, you know, it, I, I wouldn't be making that much money, but I did my senior thesis, um, for, for the economics major on, um, and my senior thesis advisor, by the way, was Cade Massey, who I now work with for the Massey Peabody ratings, but great my guy. senior thesis was great guy. Great guy. Um, was on psychological inefficiencies in the sports betting market and how basically prices, well, how betters and in turn the market um, overreacts to recency and over and overreacts um, to the outcome of an event relative to the sort of the fundamental drivers of that event. So in um, baseball, it was, it was baseball. So the, the, the best example there is batting average and balls in play for a pitcher. So um, Basically, after a ball is put in play by a hitter, the pitcher has very little control of whether it turns into an out or not, provided it doesn't go out of the ballpark. And so, you know, some pitchers get lucky, some pitchers get unlucky, but the market wasn't able to properly uh, assess the degree to which luck played a role in the pitcher's performance. So I, I developed a model, and then I um, 
and basically saw, I was like, wow, this actually could be quite profitable for me. So when I moved out to Las Vegas, my goal was basically to see how, if I could start implementing this and, and making money doing it. And so my, my, you know, I started, I guess it was June or July of June, 2008. And I wasn't I wasn't ready to bet baseball that season, but I, I started um, I started basically grinding first halves, first quarter bets for football, derivative stuff, money lines, you know, relative to point spreads. I had built charts for these things, and basically anything I could do mathematically to sort of get an edge, I was doing. And I was you know I was putting in in preseason, I was round robining teasers um, across you know the three and the seven. You know all that stuff. I was I was betting correlated parlays. You know I was betting a team, you know minus twenty seven parlayed with the over fifty one in a college football game. Um, I was you know parlaying minus seven to the over twenty and a half in an NFL first half. All, yeah, I was basically taking going, getting the low. What is I would say now is the low hanging fruit. Um, and, and props, I was, I, I got very detailed in working on NFL props and I was, you know, that was sort of my first fall out there and I was trying to slowly build a bankroll and I would actually go, I would, I, I was card counting and playing some blackjack as well. And, and the stakes, it was like nosebleed stakes, thank you. I was, I was, I was spreading like from $5 to $30 a hand at the time. I was, you know, in my, my sports bets were like $50 to like $300 absolute mass because I had like a bankroll of five to ten thousand dollars to start no this but, is great you're, you're trying to apply your your theory everything you learn in books and everything you design you're trying to apply it in the real world and you don't want to put up too much money because you don't want to go busto so i get it it's, it's great so you kind of look at this lvsc position as like a continued education type thing and they're actually paying you um if they would have given you know you would have worked for free i would have worked for free like i learned so much there and and the funny thing is none of those people were like math people per se, like, but they all were, they all were very, very comfortable with numbers. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, but they had so much expertise built on so many years of, of just being engrossed in this stuff. And, you know, I probably have too many, I've, I've, I've too many stories to even like, you know, actually if you ever have Roxy on, um, he's the guy that he'll, he'll tell you all about, the old days and the betting that goes on there. And unfortunately I missed the boat on that because I got there. Roxy, I guess, sold the company back in 99 and I was there in 2008. But, um, but there's a bunch of people that are really smart. And to give you a sense, like Kenny white, who was, um, who was the head honcho there at the time. Um, he actually got me, he wanted, you know, I was sort of the statistical consultant analyst, whatever you want to call it there. And so he, he basically threw some NBA data at me and was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to figure out the value of these different stats predictively and such and such. And he's like, I've been using these numbers here, like that I just, you know, my, based on my intuition and just years of experience. And so I, I run some like regressions and I end up coming up with numbers that are like almost identical to what he actually had gotten, he'd come to just on his own. And I was, I, I was like totally impressed. I was like, there's no, I mean, I, I, I would never have, I, I, without, you know, I'd be lost without a computer. Yeah, no, I know. You see, you're, you're always had, walking around with it. Yeah, there's no substitution for experience. That's No, sure. and he, he had binders and binders of information on all these players. And, you know, he would, he'd be able to tell me who, like, the backup 
um, how good like the third string center is on the Miami of Ohio football team. Like, and, and be like, you know, be like, well, this guy's girlfriend was, you know, um, was miss miss Ohio or something like that. Wow. Um, I mean, it was just in, in, incredible. The amount of work um, Kenny put in and, and a lot and a lot of people um, at, at LVSC and, and I, it, it really was an education. And I think, we approach things from different perspectives. I came into it kind of from, I, I, I came into it probably with a little bit of, probably a little bit overconfident in the thought that like, oh, you know, with my numbers, I can just quantify everything. Um, and, and it was humbling. And I learned, a, but I, and I learned a lot um, about other way, other approaches to things. And, and I, I guess the sort of the common theme though, is that, you need to have an approach. You need to have a process. And, and my process isn't the same as everybody's, but, but, um, but it's a process. Well said. So let's, so you're betting two, $300, $50, whatever you're building a bankroll, building a bankroll. Now what's the next step? When do you decide, okay, you know, what happens next? How do you get now from, okay, I'm doing this as a side gig. I'm trying to make a side earn to, Hey, listen, this could be my primary earn. You know, I, I kind of dreamed of that, that first fall, I kind of had this like dream in my head of like, you know, I could hustle and make it on my own as a professional gambler. Like I could be, you know, hustling these blackjack tables and, you know, and I, and I was thinking like, yeah, I could make like 40,000 a year. Like that would be amazing. Right. I mean, not, I mean, it, and by amazing, I mean like hell. It would be a, over a fifty percent raise off of what I was making at LVSC, right? So, um, but but uh, you know, I didn't really know. Um, so that first NFL season, I started off the season really well. I remember that I was tra- I tracked everything religiously in an Excel sheet, and I should find that at some point. But I remember like doubling up my bankroll in the first like two months or something like that. And, and this was betting pretty responsibly. Um, and then, and then just hitting like a really bad slide and like, so I had made like 10,000 and, and I was like thinking, Oh, I made $10,000 in two months. Like I can totally do this. And then like the next two months I lost like 5,000 or something. And it was sort of, and, and it, you know, I never been a better before. I never hit a losing streak like that. And so it, it definitely made me question things a little more. And then, um, and then we, you know, we, we, I got to the Super Bowl, and I mean, I think, you know, and then I kind of started going back on the upswing, but it was, it wasn't, you know, I think at the beginning I, I kind of had some positive variance also, but I mean, because I was betting so little, <laughs> but the Super Bowl, um, I borrowed some money from a friend. I had, so, um, someone invested in me, um, gave me a free roll and I, you know, I hustled a lot Super Bowl week, Super Bowl weeks, I should say, and, and did quite well. But, and, and I thought at the time I was like, if I do bad in the Super Bowl, then maybe the, like I was, uh, I was like, maybe this just isn't the life I'm cut out for. <laughs> I remember talking to Kate about it. Actually, I called Kate and, like for career advice and, and was like, you know, I actually don't remember what he said, but I remember calling him. But, um, but luckily for me, the Super Bowl went well. It went very well, actually. Even though I still, to this date, have never watched it. I uh, Gary Russell scored the first touchdown, and I had bet a lot on him to score the first touchdown. And, but still, after that, 
you know, I, I'm still not making that much money. I still don't have that much of a bankroll. I think, you know, my ROI, the ROI for my bets in the Super Bowl was over plus, you know, over 40%. But at the same time, I, you know, I had equity, you know, I, I had someone investing in me that I had to pay. So I think I made on, you know, my $10,000 bankroll or whatever. I, I think I returned over a hundred percent, but not much more. And so I, um, what really happened, I mean, I guess for me to be where I am now took a, probably like an eight leg or 12 leg parlay of just random coincidences. So one of which was meeting this guy or seeing this guy in line at the golden nugget betting Super Bowl props, this guy in front of me, um, Mark DeRosa, who, who's the guy that won all those Lamar Jackson MVP features last year, actually. But he, uh, he was at, he was first in line betting golden nugget props and spent 45 minutes firing on them while I was waiting behind him and actually ordered a, apparently wasn't a Jack and Coke, it was a rum and Coke uh, while I was, waiting for him. And I, and then I saw him a few months later asking about, and, and I saw him ask about NBA props at the, the Palm sports book. Back then the Palms was an independent sports book. Um, now it's, I think it's stations now, right? Cause the, it was, it was Cantor. Right. What year are we now, talking about? 2009, spring of 2009. It was, it was, yeah, this is, the, this is CG's just getting, you know, or Cantor is just, you know, at the time, actually, Cantor bought Las Vegas Sports Consultants in like early 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I followed this guy out of, I followed him out of a sports book into a parking lot. And just because I was like, he's asking about NBA props, like I want to talk to this guy. Um, and, you know, he says, he'll, he'll tell the story and he'll say that he had his hand in his pocket on his mace. He was ready to mace me because he thought I was someone that was, because he was carrying around like tens of thousands of dollars in cash. Like he's was like a legitimate professional gambler. And, um, but he did not mace me. We met, he invited me to uh, a party to meet some of his friends. We became friends. Um, he, you know, and, and a few months later, I'm working with those guys. So I, it, it was honestly a random coincidence. So, well, you know, random coincidences happen if you put, if you position yourself to be in the right place, you know, to be in places at the right time. And then it, you know, good luck is a factor of hard work, I think. Right. So you were there, you were there trying to bet in a sports book and it just so happened um, that that guy was also there. So you, you partner up with the, with these guys and how does it feel now? You were working independently. Now you're with a team. Is there a free roll involved? Are you putting up your own money? What's happening? Yeah, they, they gave me a free roll. So they gave me a 20% free roll for the 2009 baseball season. Um, and you know, I sent them my senior thesis. I remember, um, this guy that I still work with to this day, actually, (laughs) um, he, he, I met him at a restaurant in Las Vegas. Um, Mark had, you know, set this dinner up to introduce me to him. And I remember the first, the only thing he, he told me before dinner, he was like, don't be offended by his manners. He just has bad manners in general. (laughs) Um, but I still remember this was, this was dinner at the, um, at the steakhouse at the at the time it was the Las Vegas Hilton, and it, what was the steakhouse at the time? Was it? It wasn't TJ, TJ's. It was what was? Before? I don't remember. But um, they got my order wrong or something, and I like was too scared to like say anything. 
But, oh, okay. But so, no, no. So yeah, I got a twenty. Sorry, I got a twenty percent for your old. Gotcha. So, no, we're recording this at twelve forty a.m. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> a little bit tired. So all right. So this is great. So now you, you're getting a free. When do you decide to go out on your own? Well, so I got a free roll, um, but like after the first month, I made my yearly salary to LVSC. And these guys were like, why the hell are you working? Why are you still working for LVSC? Like, why, why don't you just come and work for us? Like work with us full time and be a part, you know? And, and, and then it became a 20% free roll that just um, on everything that they were doing. And it's, we're, we're not talking like, and when I say a 20% free roll, this is not like a free roll for a year or a free roll, you know, this is like a, a free roll. This was long-term. And at that point, like if, I mean, you know, if it lost, I probably, you know, you get to a point where you, you know, you probably don't even have the money to pay it back. Right. Because you well, know, I'm starting roll. out you into to, this. You don't have to right, pay I, it back. I know. But, but the, the point is like, if you're winning, I mean, it, 20%, the difference between the 20% free roll long-term and, 20% long-term is negligible if, if you, you know, if, if you're doing this for a living. Like Spanky, have you, what is, what is the longest losing stretch you've ever had? Mm, probably two and a half months. Right. Okay. So, but like if someone said, you know, I guess that if, you know, a, a, a two year free roll the EV between a two year free roll and a two year, whatever, same percentage, not free roll on all your stuff would be pretty negligible, right? Yes. Right. No, but anyway, yeah, so, I'm, so, I'm not a fan of free rolls. Yeah. I no, get no, I'm not either. So, and so I basically, I was a 20% partner, but I didn't have the money to buy into the bankroll at that time. And so once I had the money to buy in the bankroll, it's stopping a free roll and I was bought into the bankroll. So are you still partners with these guys today? No. Well, I'm, I'm, I still work with one of them. What it's, happened? Why do you, it's, you know, the team has changed over the years. I mean, gotcha. you know, it's been, it's been, this is 2009. It's 2020. Things change. You know, people, you know, people have families like Mark left and moved to Florida. Um, you know, then we had another guy come in like, it was, it was a whole operations bank. I mean, just like you have a team of guys. Yeah. But Chinese, we Mike, Chinese, Chinese Mike's still with me. For years and years. <laughs> yeah. But I hear you. But that's good. But, so, and, so, and but so you guys I, grew apart. Well, no. I mean, I'm still with one of the same guys. And okay. I still, like, you know, they're, I, I consider them all, like, very close friends still. Good. Nice. And so, you know, but, but people, have, you know, people get different priorities in life and, and want to work. You know, I don't know. I mean, things change, right? 100%. It's, I get it. And it's, it's not like, they're, you know, in a bad way necessarily. I mean... And you also, you want to be able to increase your earn too. You know what I mean? You got, there comes a point in which, listen, if you can make more money and you can do things on your own, it just makes economic sense. Right. But I mean, back in the day, like we had, we had quite an operation. It, it, there was a time when we had, you know, we had, I guess there was four partners. I was one of, you know, it was myself and three other partners. And then we had, we had like four, I guess, JV partners that were um, just, their full-time job was betting in Vegas. And then, you know, as well as obviously, um, you know, other, I mean, the, the online stuff. Perfect. All right. So Rufus, this was a great history. I loved it. I want to now ask you some specific questions. We'll try to get into the thing, you know, just different betting related questions, kind of like, uh, you know, 
day-to-day -day type stuff. So why don't we describe, you know, uh, what it's like, you know, you know, given you make a number, give me the time, what, what does it take, you know, maybe just two minutes, you know, because I have a lot of questions. Two minutes, <laughs> what, what does it take to be able to make a number and then after you make a number to be able to analyze lines, to execute the bet, you know, just g give me the whole process from start to finish. I love how you said two minutes because you know I'm just going to keep rambling. If you no, don't no, say I don't. <laughs> I'm just because I know it's a long one, but I just want to kind of get a Cliff Notes version. Okay, so what is the process um, to make a number? So, so most of my work is done in the off season. It really is in terms of that. So I'm because I basically have the goal, I guess, in any sport is to have code that I can run that will generate a number. Boom, and then there are, you know, varies based on the. the the sport, but, but I have my sort of daily and weekly routines. So on Monday, you know, I'm going to run this piece of code. It'll spit out my NFL power rankings. Um, I, I, they get pasted into this Google spreadsheet. You know, I put it, you know, some myself or somebody else puts in the matchups. It auto populates the, you know, what I, we believe a line should be. We have to mark things like team coming off of a buy or coming off of a Thursday game, etc. Um, some of the situational stuff there gets no, you know, it, it calculates, but, but, but you have to change it manually a little bit. And then, um, and then, you know, the Google sheet has, you know, you can put in the market number, best available number, and it'll basically say based on our number and, and the time of the week and all that, what, what our edge is of this particular number at a particular book. And so um, based on that, that's, you know, then, then we, we're, we're betting based off of that. So, um, Perfect. So yeah. let, let's just give an example. Let's just say in a baseball total, you know, you make a game nine over and then outside you'll be able to see somebody, maybe the best, best line in the world is nine over 18. So you got, let's just say two cents, the best of it. Are you betting something like that? What kind of strike are you looking for? So you're saying my number is what? Nine over. Let's just say nine over 20 or nine over. Okay. So, 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 so I have a two cent edge. There. Yeah. Like, so first off, you know, I realized that, my model isn't perfect. It's far from perfect. Just like, I mean, no, no quantitative model is going to be able to capture everything. I mean, hell, even I mean, there is wisdom in the market. You have to, you know, if you don't respect the market, it's going to be to your detriment, uh, especially the bigger the market, the more you need to respect it. Right, Spanky? Absolutely. And so, so first off, uh, a huge a huge thing for me overall is sort of knowing what my actual edge is. And so knowing that if I think the number is nine over minus 120, um, in the market, well, in this case, it's not going to be a huge difference, I guess. So the market's nine over minus 118. But let's say the market was like eight and a half. Well, what do I think? You know, that would say I imply I had a huge edge, but I need to know how much to factor in the market to get a sort of true number you know, what I'd actually expect to return. Because if I think it's nine over minus 120 and I'm getting eight and a half, I mean, that that's, I'm not going to do the math, um, but that's, you know, that 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 is a huge return, right? Yes. And so, but, but something like nine, nine over 18, that's minimal. No, it's, I, it's it, it, so, so, so if my number was nine over minus 120 without, Factoring the market, I would not be betting nine over minus one eighteen. So okay, how about if it was I have nine a certain over, amount? How about if it was certain, nine, nine over fifteen? Would you bet that? So so so, what's the comeback there? Well, what's the sort of true non-vague market price? Are we saying that that's nine over minus one hundred five? 
Yeah, all right. Nine over minus 05. Come back plus 05. That sounds good. My best estimate, my best estimate is a combination of my number and sort of the VIG free market number. The best market number I, you know, yeah, the best market number. Some people, you know, it used to be without a doubt the pinnacle number. That's not necessarily true these days anymore, um, even though pinnacle's juice is lower. So I would basically say, okay, depending on the time of day, it, 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 you know, is this an overnight line? Is this um, after lineups have been released? Is this five minutes before the game? Those things all impact it. So for an overnight line, I'm going to factor, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to wait the market as much as I am five minutes before the start because, because the pr- process of price discovery, there's a lot more information in that closing line than there is in the line the night before the game. Gotcha. Okay, so, so, yeah. Good. So are most of your bets, let's talk about the majority of your betting. Are you going to be betting mostly overnights, mostly before the game, mostly the morning of? When is the most of the bets coming in? For for what sport? Let's talk. Because uh, well, <laughs> I'm not betting anything right now. I know. Okay. Well, why don't we um, – well, we're, we're just talking baseball. Let's just say baseball. Okay, baseball. So – I would, you know, it's very year to year, honestly, and depending on what the situation is like trading, what our, you know, accounts are like and all, all that. Um, but normally we would, we would bet some stuff overnight if, if, if we have, a, if we can get enough down to make it worth it, because we know we're going to move the market by doing so. Um, then we're, you know, going to monitor the market. I'd have a trader monitoring it in the morning um, and, periodically throughout the day and then when lineups come out he can press a button basically when 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 lineups are released he has a thing he can press to run um run rerun the model and kick out new lines so because before that i'm using i'm basically projecting lineup so you know i i might say there's an 80 percent chance that um that matt weeders is the catcher or something and 20 percent chance it's somebody else actually i'm just this doesn't actually make any sense because Matt Weeders was not playing 80% of games for, for anybody for a while. But, but once the lineups are released, obviously I have much more certainty there. So, so then we, I mean, we'd be betting there. Ideally I want to bet as much as I can early, but the problem is it's harder to get down early. So there's bigger edges early, not, you're not able to get down as much early. It's a fine line. You got to balance yeah. it. You want to be able to get down as much as possible at the best price. But you it really, I mean, it comes. Yeah, and it comes. It comes down to. It really does come down to sort of how much we're able to get down. Like if if I can only get down two thousand dollars on a overnight total, I'm not going to bet that. If I can get ten thousand dollars down on an overnight total, I will bet it because I think that number is not you know because even you know yes I'll move the number, but if I don't, someone else probably will, and I won't. You know I'm not going to be able to get as much get that price the next morning okay got it i love the process now let's talk about thresh is there ever a time where the threshold is to be true it's too big that you have to say let me just re-examine maybe there was a mistake you know you make a game uh uh you know 20 point uh, 20 point favorite but the the market's five you know something off the wall we're like wait a minute i gotta re-examine this does that happen? Oh, sure. Yeah. Anytime there's something like that, you, you take a step back. You don't automatically fire. Okay. When, you know? You know, but when do you know, you know, that, you know, it, it, when are you second guessing yourself a lot? You know, let's just say for a football game, three points, four points, six points, 10 points. How much, you know, uh, do you need to be off to 
second guess? There's, there's no one answer because let's say I've been low on a team all year and then suddenly I, I show an edge on them, like in an edge that might be normal if it was another team. I might say, wait, what's up here? Like, and look and see if there's a bug in the data or a bug in my code somewhere. And I'm not perfect. There are, you know, sometimes there are bugs or there's things that don't run right or there's an error in the data I'm getting. And so I think it's really critical to sort of have some safeguards in place to sort of be able to sort of examine it. But I think part of it is knowing what is normal from years and of experience with this. Perfect. Are your bet amounts proportionate to your edge? Um, you know, early on, yes, they were. Now, less so just because it is the more inefficient the market, the smaller the market is, the harder it is to get down generally. So, so currently, currently the market doesn't satisfy your appetite or, it, 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 you, you know, you require more, so it doesn't really matter. For, for certain sports, yeah, I mean, in general, though, it, there can be, you know, there are big edges to be had out there in props, for example. I like I don't do NFL props except for Super Bowl these days. It's just because it's a lot of work. It is extremely labor intensive and the edges just don't justify that amount of work given the volume I can get. You know, would I would I love to bet a lot more? Yes. But as such, like you end up having less volume on the higher edges. But you know, if, if I was if I was bankroll constrained, if I was, you know, when I was starting out, yes, my edges, my bet size my bet size was very much proportional to my edges and it was very quantitatively done. Now it's sort of like, you know, I'll take this up to this amount. Gotcha. And, and I'm in Spanky. I'll be honest. I like um, myself and my business partner, we, we definitely are under betting our bankroll. I think cause there's, we're, we're lucky to be in a good position where, you know, we, we're in a, you know, we're in a good position financially. And so, there is a point where, you know, yes, I could probably make more if, if I bet a hundred thousand dollars on on college football and NFL games and tried to do that. Um, but there's a certain amount of variance and and risk that I just probably, even if I could withstand it, you know, even if it was, you know, let's say, okay, with Kelly, you know, Kelly Criterion and everything. It, it might be just a little too much, right? You know, and so there is, I think law, people will say, oh, you need to bet, you know, you should be betting Kelly Criterion or something. And, and I say, you know, you need to figure out what you're optimizing. If what you're optimizing is the amount of money you have, um, that's one thing, but also you need to consider your lifestyle and the impact it'll have, like big swings will have on you. And, and I know personally that baseball, the swings in baseball, like uh, have not have been very difficult to take at times for me. For whatever reason, I, I feel much more invested in baseball than other sports in terms of the, I don't know, if I take losing much more personally in, in baseball, maybe because it's the thing I started doing and I feel like somehow it's my worth is tied up in how I do in betting baseball. But, you know, those swings were just like, I mean, that for, you know, that actually not the first year, the second year we had, we started the season I guess we got to the all-star break and we were up. Um, we had made this 2010. We had made, um, I think we got to a million or very close to so definitely over 950,000 in profit. 
And then we gave back 700,000 of it in the next two months. And it was just like, oh my God, I was, it, it was not an easy two months mentally. And I learned a lot from it, but I also learned that money's not the most important thing. And both when you do really well and when you do really poorly, I think, at least for me, I've realized how little money actually matters in my life. I, this is such a valid point. I, I love the way you're talking here because I, you know, I think all the guys that say use Kelly and, and, and do all these things to try to maximize your earn, minimize your risk. But at the end of the day, there's mental health and, and you have to be able to stomach these swings and we're all humans. And the most important thing is, is to, to be able to not worry about the results. And if you're checking scoreboards, at least this is for me, you know what I mean? I think you're the same way. Checking scores and worrying or sweating a game. If, that's, if, you're, if, if you're starting to do that and worried about a score, then you're betting too much, in my opinion. Well, um, I agree. Uh, you know, so so I think it's important, and I think it's and it, it depends on everybody has a different risk profile, and it all depends on the human being. I don't like, you know what I mean. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't have an appetite for getting. You know, I try to just earn, and I try to have the best of it, but at the same time, um, you know, I'm never, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't put myself in a position to sweat games, and you don't like sweating games either. Whatever, you know, you did all your work. Once the game starts, that's it. You live your life, um, and I think it's so important for any. Anybody listening out there, look, you know, Rufus, pro, I'm a pro. We, you know, we don't sweat games. We don't really, once we've done our work and once the bets are placed, you let the athletes do everything, you know, in the long run, it's going to all work out. But that short-term variance and how things go, you have to be able to stomach that. And if you are sweating and watching and if you can't stomach it, you're betting too much. I agree. Variance will get you in the short run. It really will. And, and I had to learn, I, you know, there was an amount of money, like, I remember in 2008, one day I lost like 800 or $900 when I'm betting like 100 or 200, right? And, and I was devastated. Hell, I'll take you back further. I re- <laughs> this is going to make you laugh, Spanky, but this is my freshman year in college. I remember playing a poker game with um, a, a poker game in the dorm rooms, and it was a $10 poker game, a $10 buy-in. And I remember, I think we were down to the last, I was one of the last few players, the last two players left, I think. And I remember making a really bad decision and losing. And I remember thinking to myself, that is $10 that I will never get back. No matter what I do the rest of my life, I won't get the $10 back. And I was really upset about it for some reason. And so it's funny, but with the amount of money that like it takes for me to, to sort of for it to affect my, my mental health, um, has risen over time and it it has been a continuous process. And so I wouldn't, it's not like you can't just go from nothing to being able to accept like a swing of a hundred thousand in a weekend. Like you just can't do it. There had to be all these sort of intermediate stages beforehand. Of course. Okay. How do you handle market opposition? You, you lay five on a game a day later, it goes to four. Well, so I'm risk averse enough that I'm not like, uh, there are some people out there that are, that say, you know, if you have a big edge, they're they're basically betting small and then trying to just stuff, you know, stuff as much money as they can back the truck up um, on these opportunities where they have a really, where they have a really big edge. And so that's kind of not my approach. My approach is much more like, I know that my edge is in this range. And if I'm able to bet all these games, I know it's going to end up in this range. Uh, 
or very likely. And so I market opposition obviously is concerning. You don't like it. I mean, I try to track this stuff and, and if you're getting, I mean, I think market opposition is a, well, I guess, or how the market reacts to your plays is sort of a leading indicator of how you're going to do. If you're, if you're generally getting a lot of market opposition, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to win long-term if that's, if you're getting market opposition, but for there, me, there's market, certain yeah. For me, market opposition is more devastating than a loss. Yeah. Cause it means your process somehow is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Spanky, you have to realize like there's always information out there that you don't have too. I want to I want to try to gauge why that money is coming in, and you can't always do that. And it involves creating a narrative, and I'm kind of against trafficking in narratives in general. But I do see it as a warning sign, and there are times when I will add to my bet, and there are times when I won't. Perfect. That's it. Perfect. How is it? How do you deal with it, Spanky? Uh, you know, I don't like it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's uh, you know. It, I, you know, I could get there. My answer probably would take 20 minutes and I'd love to talk, you know what I mean? But I'm trying to interview you, my man, you know, so it's, but it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, we, you know. Well, well, Spanky, I'm sure sometimes I've gotten market resistance because you're, de- you're betting a line one way to try to move the market. And I'm sort of like, oh my God, I'm an idiot, right? And then, <laughs> in, in reality, no. you're on the same side, but you're just setting it up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so talking that's about, the whole point, though, right? Yeah, like I'm talking about lasting market resistance, lasting yeah, yeah. something that lasts. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're talking about if you're if you're having market resistance regularly occurring. No, not regularly like occurring. Something like I'm not saying okay, you lay five, the line goes to four, but it closes six. That's okay. That's not you know that's not lasting market resistance. Lasting is if you lay five, it goes to four, but it closes four, it closes three and a half. Uh, it's going to sometimes though. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, it's of just course. Because, yes. Because there is only so much information you have and there's a lot more information out there and, you know, or maybe in, in, it, you could still have the right side and it closed against you because maybe there's just some per, big, per, you know, somebody that's a big gambler who thinks they have an edge that's getting down huge and markets are overreacting to it. I don't uh, know. Uh, right? I don't, not on the market side, but I get you. No, but I mean, Spanky, you you know better than anybody probably how how easy markets can be manipulated right now, given the fact that where you know while you know the stock market is way higher than it was in the 1990s, you can't bet more than you could in the 1990s. In fact, you can probably bet less. Yes, well, that's a that's a hundred percent. Okay, I'm going to give you a scenario. You tell me what happens. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, you make a line minus thirty. Let's say a golf match. Wait, do I need to get like? Pen and paper no, no, out here to do some no, math? No, 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 no okay. paper, no paper. It's just easy. Just don't embarrass me. No, no, there's nothing embarrassing. <laughs> you make a line minus 30. Line out there is minus 110, okay? You bet it. The next day it shoots up to minus 80. Come back, let's just say it's plus 160. Do you buy back at the plus 160? What do I make the true line? You make the true line minus 30. So man to man will be minus 30, come back plus 30. Wait, wait, so I make the true line minus 30. Yes. And I bet it at minus 30? No, you laid 110. But let's just say the move was so dramatic, it was so drastic, that it shot up to minus 180, come back oh, minus plus 160. Oh, minus 80, okay. No, minus 180, come back so it, plus 60. So it all depends on the price I make it. And, and obviously there's extraneous circumstances too. Like if you're using, you know, if you have a betting partner or something and you're betting it, you know, if you're betting something at minus 110 
and you're taking the other side at like plus 140 with the same betting partner. Not plus um, one, say plus 160. Right, I know, but at the same time, you, you, you know that there's, there are concerns aside from just the pure math of it, obviously. Oh, um, with the same bookmaker you're talking about, or what do you mean the same betting partner? Both. Gotcha, okay. The reason why I'm asking the question sorry, is, is here's, here's what I'm trying to drive at. at. Go ahead. I'm trying to drive it. Your edge, if you make a line minus 30, plus 30, that's the man-to-man price. Your edge at plus 160 is greater than the, you know, given that you make a plus 130, greater than the initial edge that you had when you laid 110, given you made it minus 130. Okay. So I made, oh, oh, so you said when I made it minus 30. Okay. When you said minus 30, I thought it was a point spread that I made minus No, no, no I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a golf matchup. I thought matchup. it was minus 30, minus 110. Okay. No, no, this is a golf matchup. This ah, is a golf okay. matchup. Yes, of course I would take the plus 160 if I could. Okay. So, Why wouldn't I? So, so, okay, fair enough. So that's great. So you, so that's a scalp. So you're not opposed to scalping. Now, a lot of people, now, oh. there's, different, there's different schools of thought. Some people would say, you're taking plus, you know, even though you made it minus 130, the market agrees with you so much that you have such a great edge minus 110 why would you take and buy something back given it moved so much you're giving well, away the best of it no if you if you have ev you should buy back in fact if i made the line let's say my true price was 160 you know i bet it minus 110 it moves to you know so, so i can get plus 160 on the other side my true price is plus 160 i still in that case i want to take the plus 160 because well, I don't have an edge there, it reduces my variance. Gotcha. And so if you can have the same edge and less variance, that's always better. So so g- given what you're telling me, you would always scalp? Yeah, if I could, if I could get down there without like hurting my long-term ability to get down. And, and you're, you're betting golf all the time. Lines are moving like wildfire, let's just say, right? Sure. How often are you buying back? If ever? Not often. Okay then, because it's but but that's not because I wouldn't want to. It's because um, no, it's it's generally sometimes there's other considerations. Okay, so without those considerations, you would buy back every single time. Of course, if I had if I had an edge, and I still believe both. If I have if I believe the bet. The buyback bet has an edge. I will definitely buy back. But if, every you, time. Made, if you made the man-to-man price minus sixty, come back plus sixty, uh, taking plus one sixty is no edge. Right, but it reduces variance there. It's okay. it's a it's a it's a hedge that reduces your variance. It does not affect your EV. Gotcha. Right. It's like saying, would you rather have? No, I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I'm hundred percent. I can give you. I can give you a fifty percent chance of ten thousand dollars, or take five thousand dollars. You know, most people. 100, well, I 100% agree with you. Now, my whole point, though, I agree with you. For me, it's not about maximizing earn; it's about reducing risk. Right, I get we talk we talk about the swings, about variance, and sort of the swings. And and if you can reduce those swings while keeping the same EV, that's always a win. Understood. That's the thing. But however, you're, you have to then trust that your EV, your 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 calculation. Uh, oh. uh, is gonna you know is gonna be accurate. Like, right, right. I, I'm talking about when you, when you said when I make it plus 160. I mean I, I make the true price plus 160 after factoring the market after all that stuff. I, gotcha. I that's what I truly believe because it is rather than given you know, given the yeah. market agreed with you so heavily. You know what I mean? Maybe somebody makes it a lot higher than what you make. You see what I'm saying? It's like you know you have when you have market support, 
that's one of the greatest things, right? It feels so good. I lay three, it goes to four, and then somebody lays four, it goes to five and a half. These are great things. It makes you feel good. But you sometimes know, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy, though. I mean, like, if there was a – I remember there was a time, I think it was back in 2011, when we had just a tremendous heater on golf, where I think in matchups over, like, a two- or three-month span, we were hitting, like, 75% on them. It was it was just insane. insane. And we would bet something – Maybe not quite that high, but it was it, it was quite high. And we would bet something at minus 110, and it would move all the way to, like, it would move all the way to minus 180. Um, and most, the, the, you know, most things we bet, we bet at minus 110, it's, it's, we're, we're able to take plus 140 on the other side. And, but the problem is we're not able to get down to that plus 140, you know, because part of the reason that we had all that, part of the reason we got that line movement is because these same betting partners that, that were getting us down at minus 110, they were also, they saw how well we'd been doing in the short run. And so they were betting it again at minus 120 and minus 130. And, yeah. you know, and so if we came back on the other side, they'd be like, it, it oh. would, it, it, some of their, their bets that they made that were not for us we're probably going to end up being negative EV. Uh, no, I, I 100% agree with you. And this is, you know, for me, I have cold buyback accounts. So I don't affect my betting partners. Let's just say I want to reduce my risk. I want to reduce my exposure. I have cold accounts where there's bookmakers out there that will gladly, if a line moves from minus 10 to minus 40 they'll, uh, or minus 60, come back so, plus 40, yeah. they'll gladly book the plus 40 because they feel as if, look, the market's minus 60, them booking plus 40, it's like them laying 40. They're happy to book that. So, right. you know, I, I think having buyback accounts, for me at least, is an important tool um, so that I don't hurt my betting partners, but at the same time, I can limit my exposure. No, I, I completely agree with you on that. And I think with the market like the golf market and, and how hard it was, especially back in 2011, to get down the volume we did, and we got down quite big. Um, we weren't really, you know, we could buy back maybe $5,000, but like nothing, you know, not much of a dent into, into what we had, you know, what we gotten down to begin with. Gotcha. All right, let's move on. This is great. I love talking numbers like this. Um, okay. You know, we, we touched on this earlier and this is a very important topic. I think discuss, you know, you read all these books, you design all these models. This is before, Tell, describe what it was like, you know, you know, you're betting real money. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of the, you know, theoretical guys, the math guys, they'll say, yeah, do this, do that. But when you're betting real money, how much does it change the process where, hey, listen, even though, you know, this formula tells me to bet this, I can't do that and have, you know, the, the whole back to the mental health thing. I can't do that and stomach it. Um, how much does real life play into the analysis? So if I, if I was the one that had to, you know, put it, if, if I had to do all the trading myself, um, it probably would affect it more because I know, I know myself and, and I'm the same guy that in fantasy football can evaluate a trade and say, I wouldn't make this trade. And then say, Oh, if I was, if roles were reversed, I still wouldn't make that trade, you know, which is completely irrational. Right. And so I, I know that I know I know that my gut is wrong and my intuition is, is quite often wrong. Um, so I try to set up processes that allow that, that basically don't allow that to get involved. But you still have a max amount of money that you're willing to put down. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's flexible, but, but there's generally a max amount. Yes. Perfect. All right. Carpenters, they build houses for people. 
<laughs> Plumbers, they unclog drains. They help society. Doctors heal people. Even bookmakers, they provide entertainment value for people. What you and I do, if we don't go to work the next day, nobody misses us, nobody gives a shit. We don't benefit society in any way. How does that sit with you? It's, it's something I've thought about quite a lot, Spanky. You know, it's... I believe that purpose is extremely important in life. You know, I was talking about how it isn't about all about how much money you make. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm obviously very fortunate to be in a position where I can say that because there's a, a lot of people in the world can't say that because if you're struggling day to day, then money becomes, you know, money is so important. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I'm not doing anything good for society by doing this, but I, you know, I guess I do. Hmm, I'm not sure how to exactly articulate this. But <laughs> no, no, I just I didn't <laughs> mean to. Tough. I didn't mean to stump you, dude. I'm just trying. Uh, this is, you know, it, it's it's a question I ask myself all the time. So I I figured, you know. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this though. I got into this because not because I wanted to make a bunch of money, but because I because I love sports and I love the numbers side of sports and analyzing sports. So and and you know I, I'm. I moved to Las Vegas for a job that paid $25,000 a year and because, because I loved it. And I loved like that, that, that job was amazing. I loved it at Las Vegas sports consultants. Um, and so I, for me, I never got in it into it because of the money, but at the same time, like at the time I just, I was like, I want to be the best at this. I wanted to sort of make a name for myself. I wanted to be, I wanted to be really good and be able to make it and to prove as much to prove to myself as to prove to other people that I could do this. And so, but once you, I mean, now I I have in recent years, I've thought much more about sort of the fact that you're right. I'm not contributing anything positive to society by doing this and, and sort of what can I do? Um, and so, and I think what, what might be satisfying in your twenties isn't always satisfying in your thirties, right? I mean, probably not just sport, not just career stuff. I'm sure for other people, there's, you know, I mean, there's, you know, some people spend their twenties running around womanizing and then eventually that grows old. Right. So, I mean, there's things change as you get older. And so. I am, I am trying to figure out how I can make more of a positive impact and I don't have the answer hundred percent. Um, the, this, this nonprofit that I've been, um, I guess brainstorming cause we still haven't officially launched yet. And obviously with the economic climate, um, and the fact that we will, nobody's going to have money to give us right now, we're not going to be launching in the immediate future, but, um, the nonprofit that, that captain Jack, and myself and um, Alfonso and some others have been involved in um, in discussing um, is something that I feel very passionate about because I, I want, you know, just because even if you're betting recreationally, you should not be being taken advantage of. Um, you need to go into it. I feel like you should, there's information you should have. And um, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, did you ever read Flash Boys? No. 
the book now. But I mean, if someone, let's say someone's skimming off the top, like a penny here, a penny there off of you, even if you don't know you're being scammed, you're being scammed and it's costing you money. And overall, you know, and to me, that just doesn't sit right with me. Well, listen, so I care very much about fairness. I agreed. really do. And, and this is, I love this. So this is a great answer because you know what? I didn't mean to put you on a guilt trip or nothing like that, dude. I'm just, no, you know, I'm being real. It was a great question. It was a great yeah, question. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Uh, this is just a question that, you know, people and and, and like you and I, that we, 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 you know, I struggled with this a, a while. So, um, but it's great now. I want to talk about the, the, you know, just plug it real quick, the, the American Betters Coalition. Yeah. So we don't really have much to plug at the moment. As I said, right now with the economy, we're not really in a position to launch um, or make a successful launch. So we're kind of putting it off for the moment. But but what we're trying to do is advocate for sports betters, be a voice for the better. Because right now in the legal American sports betting ecosystem, um, you know, you have a bunch of states legalizing or, or in the process or had been, I guess, in the process of, of legalizing sports betting. Um, and most of the legislators do not have much sports betting knowledge. They don't understand the industry. And so they count on people to educate them. And the problem is a lot of these people educating them have a vested interest in educating them in a certain way. So these are people like operators, like there's operators, B2Bs, sports leagues, data providers, um, casinos, et cetera. And so we basically just want sports betters interests to be represented in in sort of the regulations um, that we'll see, that we do see, and we will see in future states that legalize. American Betters Coalition, we the yeah. betters. <laughs> and Spank- Spanky, we, we solicited input, and Spanky uh, was the guy that came up with the We the Betters, which is on, on the website. At the moment. All right, no, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so um, let's talk about, listen, so, you know, given you take this bottom-up approach, on modeling and, 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 and creating models and, and predicting outcomes of future games based on players' past performance data. You know, you have to keep up with this. Um, do you ever believe your edge will go away? If so, what's plan B? Yes, I do believe my edge will go away because there's a lot of really, really smart people out there. And, you know, there's – I'm a dinosaur, Spanky. And I know I'm, I'm 34, but, like, you know, the languages I code in – I mean, hell, you're a dinosaur too. <laughs> I call it Java. Although, yeah. (laughs) Although what you do is probably, as you say, it's more sustainable because you don't have to, you know, as long as you can identify where the smart money's going, you don't have to be able to predict the outcome, right? No, no. But I I take a top-down approach. No, but I'm just saying that's. I'm not. I'm I'm trying to compare your approach to mine. I'm just saying, you know, you, 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 unless you keep up, and like you said, there's smarter people coming. You know, you're on the top of the golf world. You're one of the best in the world at the at betting golf. Let's call a spade a spade. But at the end of the day, there's other guys trying to climb up there, trying to take you down. So what's the plan B? Are you going to try to – obviously want to try to remain at the top as much as possible. What's the next step? Well, I think it's hard. It's going to be hard to be elite. I, I think in the future, given the amount of data that's out there um, – and the number of smart people out there, it's going to be hard to do a lot of things well. It already is hard to do a lot of things well. And so, you know, I, I don't want to relinquish my title of, you know, with the golf betting um, necessarily, but, but you know, I was planning on skipping this baseball season anyway to sort of spend more time to focus on 
um, improvements to models and, and also to focus on some business interests and as well as this nonprofit. So do you believe I, you I know, lost your edge in baseball? I, don't, I believe my edge is not nearly as big as it used to be. I, I had a losing season last year. I still think, I think if I, I, I do think I'm still pro I, I, well, I wouldn't have continued betting. Although I guess I just said that I wasn't going to bet it this year, but the reason I wasn't going to bet it wasn't because I don't think it, it had an edge. It's because I, uh, the amount I'm trying to focus now more on spending time on things that will pay more dividends down the line. And I, I don't think long-term betting baseball is going to be a huge source of income. So, so this is, I, I, I love your answer because this is something that's so noble of you. Um, and it's such an important thing. Um, one of the elements of success in anybody is knowing when to say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back. Uh, and knowing, you know, like sometimes the best bet that you'll ever place is the one you don't place. Um, passing is always an option. So these are such, you know, they're such good qualities. And um, for you to say something like that, um, to be able to say, listen, now I'm going to take a pass. I don't think the edge is as strong. This well, is, and also, this is, it's just so much work, Spanky. Oh, no, of so course. It's, it's a lot and, of work. And, 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 you're, and if your edge is lower, is the work worth, is the, the risk worth the reward? Like you well, just, Yeah, it, and I told you about the mental grind. Like for me, for whatever reason, I take, I take it more, much more personally with baseball. And so I know that, and I knew that it was going to, you know, I know that losses wear on me in baseball in a way they don't in other sports. Fair enough. Very, I love it. I love it. Okay. But, but, but um, wait, wait. You, so in, I, I do think there will be a time when I don't, you know, when I don't really have much of an edge in, in, you know, I'm, my approach has always been, you know, strike while the iron's hot, right? Like 100%. basically, basically get the money I need now while I still can. And then, That's it. but, but, the, but hopefully there's still a lot of life to live. And so I have to figure out what to do with the rest of it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, you've always mentioned you have real estate going on and stuff like that. You got a couple of side things. But no, but I mean, what to do in terms of like for life satisfaction, I don't yes, make the money. Yes. Like, okay. like, like being in a position where you don't have to make a lot of money, you know, or where, being in a position where you can do things not for the money is, is nice. Um, yes. That's a good position to be in. And I think everybody wants to be in that position, but what do you do still? Right. And, and, I, you know, I was much more in that position before I met my, um, before, before I met my fiance and realized that all these additional expenses I was going to have to, you know, that I guess I should say we were going to have, you know, we're going to incur, but, um, but you, you, yeah. you've been in this business long enough to realize, and, and there's going to be a lot of people, because a lot of people have told me the same thing. Oh, why don't you apply your stuff to different industries? Or you could use your code to the stock market, all this stuff. Listen, once you're so deep engulfed in this, there's no way out. You can't, you know, at least for me, I can't get out. This is what I love. This is my breath. This is what I live. So this is it. And it's what I, you know. It's what I know and what I'm comfortable with. And, 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 and I'm still good at it and I can still learn and I enjoy it. And I think it's the same thing with you is just that, you know what I mean? So many people try to advise you, Rufus, you're such a smart guy. Why don't you do this, that, and the other thing? But at the same time, People don't understand. You put in so much work, so many hours. It's a comfort zone. You're in the comfort. You're in the zone. You love it. And once this business, this business has a way of taking a hold of you that it's so hard to be able to get out of that grasp. It is. 
you're right about that. But I also realized a little bit, I'm afraid of failure in, in terms of if I do something else, like I, if I, if I try something else and fail, like somehow I feel like that'll, I don't know, or at least in the past that, that has been a scary thought to me. I haven't, it hasn't been something like I've directly thought of, but somebody recently, well, a few years ago called me out on this and, and sort of said that he thought I was afraid of it. And because as it is right now, it's like, if I was being successful at one thing, I can just say, okay, you know, I was good at this one thing and, and never try something that I would fail at. And then I can, you know, think of myself as a success, but, um, but it takes a lot of hard work, obviously to transition into something different. And who and, wants to start from scratch? No, it, it, and I need to be motivated. I think that's the thing. And and even now, I don't think I, I like. I don't think anybody can match the work ethic of someone when they're in their twenties. Like I don't know about you, Spanky, but like when I was, you know, twenty four, twenty five, I could just work like you know eighty to hundred hour weeks, week after week. I don't know how I did it. No, no, we we've all done it, and and like I told you, I even mentioned this to you, you know, a chess master. They say you know your brain is functioning, everything. They peak thirty three, thirty four, and then you know you start to worry. You know, then you start just getting wise, and it's not about the mental capacity to be able to just do things and work hard and and, and be at your top of your game. You then want to be able to work a lot smarter and to be able to just mellow out and take it a little bit more easy. And I think that uh, at least that's where I'm at um, for me. And, um, you know, I think, you know, you're, you know, I don't, I don't want to quite tell you that you're at your peak. You know what I mean? I don't want to insult you, but I'm just saying, uh, you, you, you go to, like you said, you're not working like you were in your twenties, obviously. No, Spanky, you've done a good job of, of, of having an operation that where you're actually, where you're, you know, you're able to delegate and have other people do things. And, and so you're able to sort of take a, a more big picture perspective. Right. And so that's, yes. that's the place that I want to be able to get to. And, for, I mean, that's not the skill set I have, though. That's something in, in the past that I've, I've realized that I haven't done very well. And that's, you know, when I've tried to bring on people and things like that um, and managing people, I've not been good at that. I've not been good at, at following up. I'm not the most organized person, which for someone that talks about, like, having a process and all that, you would think I'd be much more organized, but 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 I'm not. <laughs> and so that's, that's something I want to get better at. And, and I, I, I realized that to sort of, to scale anything. And if I, if I want to start a business in another area or in a related area or anything, I need to be, I need to be more on top of things and be better at a managerial role. And, and so that's something I'm hoping to sort of, to work on and get better at. Beautiful. Well said. All right. I'm a young up. I know Rufus is running a little bit long, but I got a lot of questions and you know, you're very insightful and you're my friend. So, you know what I mean? I, I don't uh, mind holding you back a little bit. Okay. So, uh, a young up and comers on Twitter, he sees Rufus Peabody. The picture got a you know dog tag with the name Rufus on it. He sees professional sports better things. He's thinking about clicking that follow button. Wait, he sees what? unemployed sports better right now. Oh, unemployed. Okay. He's unemployed. <laughs> well, let's pretend it just said professional sports better. Why does somebody follow Rufus on Twitter? What can I learn from following? I don't know. That's a really good question, Spanky. <laughs> One that I don't have an answer to. I mean, you get my thoughts on things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you have to tell me. You follow me. I mean, my, my goal is once I have, hopefully once, once my edges are gone, I'll have like a million Twitter followers. So then, you know, who needs sports betting, right? I'll be like, yeah, Kim Kardashian-like career, right? Okay. Let's talk about the podcast, Bet the Process podcast. 
that you co-host with Jeff Ma. I'm looking at all the gambling podcasts. I see Bet the Process. I'm trying to learn about sports betting. I'm up and coming in the business. Why do I listen to Bet the Process? Okay. So I, I, I think you listen to Bet the Process because we're different. We are not – and just like you listen to Be Better Vetters because you, you're different. Um, we're – just like you, we're not a podcast that is all about giving people picks and telling them what to think. We kind of want to sort of explain how to think and, and sort of give insight into sort of the way we approach things. And, and Jeff, is, Jeff is a really, really smart guy, one of the smartest guys I know. He's an extremely good big picture thinker. And um, obviously, if, if – You've heard of him. You probably know that he's the inspiration for the book "Bring Down the House" and the movie Twenty One um, about the MIT blackjack team. And so, um, but I think we each provide different perspectives. Jeff isn't, you know, Jeff has um, has a real job. He's a corporate executive, um, but he's actually he just took a new job. So I don't know. I think so. I guess technically, yes, he's a corporate executive. Um, and and he bets um, and and makes money doing it, but but not professionally. Um, but and whereas I do it, this is my you know primary source of income. But but we approach things a little bit differently. But um, I, I think that the perspectives we provide hopefully are useful to people. And during the football season, we cover uh, we do talk more about games. Um, but during the off season, we we have more guests on and, and hopefully um, and people that have sort of processes and approaches that we um, want to sort of talk to them about. So um, give it a listen. It's obviously, there's plenty of people that don't like it. Um, there's plenty of people that like it too. Um, seven of them. So if you're one of the seven, um, that'd be awesome. Right, perfect. Last question, Rufus, before we close the name of this podcast is be better betters. I try to ask, you know, pro betters like yourself or anybody really for that matter, if there's one piece of advice you could give somebody to be a better better, what would it be? Hmm. One piece of advice. There's so many, like, so I, I'm probably not going to. Or you could knock a few out. You could knock a few, you could knock a few bullet points out, whatever you want to say. I would say. I would say spend your time building something that will reap rewards down the line. So if that means don't spend your time doing things that could be done by anybody, um, basically try to capitalize on. And, and so basically, you know, if, you know, the things you can automate, automate them um, and, and try to capitalize on what you think your strengths are. But the other thing is don't jump blindly into something. So before I bet any, before I bet baseball, I had, I'd built a model that I back tested. I had out of sample tested and I felt confident I was going to win. And, and cause I'm, I'm naturally, believe it or not, as a frugal person, I'm pretty conservative financially. And so, or I should say as a formerly frugal person. Um, and so I, I was really, I, I was risk averse. I still am risk averse. So don't, I, I would never bet something that I, you know, don't have evidence to show is, is going to be profitable. Uh, and, and that evidence isn't always a backtested model. It can just be 
knowing that this works in other sports and this is a less efficient market and the fact that I'm getting positive line movement and stuff, but, but basically um, you'll save yourself a lot of money. If you basically, if you test stuff out before you actually live bet it, that's my guess because the first time the, your first attempt at anything is never going to be the best. Rufus, great advice. Thanks so much for enduring the long session and answering all my questions, brother. I appreciate it, and um, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. Well, Spanky, Spanky, I enjoyed it. It was it was worth staying up late for, even though I probably would have been up late playing um, online. I, I've gotten addicted to this online board game during quarantine. It, it's awful. Um, so what's sorry. it called? <laughs> it's called Ticket to Ride. Oh, I love Ticket to Ride. Days of oh, the yeah, seriously. They have like an ELO rating system, so I'm like obsessively trying to get my ranking up. Beautiful. Do you play just a regular U.S. version or there's other versions? No, there's other ones. I like the U.S. version. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I play with my brother a lot in it, although he's now, he's like, you know, this is having a detri detrimental impact on my life. I'm playing it too much. Good stuff, man. I know you're the board game master, so. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, you are, literally. I'm not. I, I, I play one game pretty well. It's called and, Twilight Struggle. And what's your rank in the world? Well, I, I won the world championships last okay. year. Okay. You won the world championships. Well, that was a, that's just that at one tournament, you know what I mean? So, But, yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, if you ever want to play Twilight Struggle Rock, you know, I can play Ticket to Ride it. So I don't, I don't, it's still a, Days of Wonder, right? You yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. let me know. We'll, we'll play. Yeah, I haven't played that game in a long time. It's funny because, you know, just just on a, as a side note, you and I, we spent time together. And we played games together, and we played a game called Secret Hitler. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, you learn so much about somebody, and you see – and Secret Hitler is a social game. So it's a game where we're just talking. It's all talking. You know what I mean? Most of the game, you're just trying to talk, convince. And you learn so much about people playing a game like that with them. And um, it, 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 it's just how they, you know, it, 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 you can you can take what you learn and you just see how they use these skills in, in, in the real world. And um, it was such a pleasure playing with you because I love how analytical you are on how, you know, just the thought process. It was just perfect. It was such a pleasure playing that game with you. And it, it showed, you know, uh, uh, such a great side that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't normally see. So well, I think. Of, co of course, it was a pleasure for you, Spanky. You, you kicked my butt twice. You convinced everybody I was a fascist when I was, in fact, a, a liberal. No, no, no. I convinced everybody that I was a liberal when I was, in fact, a yeah, fascist. Okay. But, I'm, but, but I'm just saying, it doesn't matter win or lose. It just it's, it was such a pleasure just playing. And, and, and that was just, I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, and, and I, no, but you, you made, a, you know, it just, you're just logical. And I just love, you know, when hearing you talk throughout the games, like, you know, board games, believe it or not, a lot of people say, oh, Spank, you play a board game. What are you, you know, a little kid or, you know, they don't understand the, the people I play games with a lot of these games, a lot of industries use these board games in the interview process. Believe it or not, a, a buddy of mine, he works for the U.S. Department of Defense, and, and they use some of these games as interviews on how these people play these games. Um, and and it's, it's some of the smartest people, at least for me, play these board games because essentially, you know, it's such, it's a small little thing that you're able to analyze, you know, resource management and, and, and analyze how you handle problems 
um, and what the next step is and, and, you know, just risk reward and everything that is so applicable, not just to sports betting or anything, but to just life. Um, so I, I just love um, playing games that make you think, that make you manage problems, that make you manage resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could, Spanky, I completely agree. And, and you know, I said I, I didn't grow up betting like I didn't bet as a kid or anything like that, but I was always into games. I always loved games. And I think that's kind of, and, and betting is a game. Sports betting is a game. That's it. It's well said. It's perfect. It's a game. And you're just trying to get the best of it. And I'm just like in any game, just trying to get the best of it, brother. Such a pleasure, yes, Rufus. You're the best, man. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me, Spanky. Thank you, brother. Talk soon. Damn. I ran pretty long. Hope you guys stuck it out. Rufus is just a nice guy, all-around nice guy, smart guy, knows his thing, made a mark on a business, and um, he's uh, such a pleasure to have on. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.